1968 is considered one of the worst years on record in the United States. Assassinations, escalation of war, race riots, an avowed segregationist, George Wallace, carried five states in the presidential election as a third-party candidate. And the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. <laughs> 1968 was a time of exhausting upheaval. It is both sad and somehow not surprising that 2018, 50 years later, we face many of the exact same challenges as a nation. So why bring this negativity up uh, during Christmas? There are a couple of important reasons I do this. First, I want to acknowledge that you all are tired. I know that. I feel it in my heart, and I cannot ignore what you bring with you into this room. I see it in your faces. I hear it in your voices. Exhaustion, frustration, weariness, fear, insecurity, political, economic, intellectual. It feels like an incredibly dangerous time. The second reason I bring up the challenges of the year is because I know that the resilience you seek and need is actually buried among all of the feelings of anxiety. I know that in a bizarre way, you and I must face and acknowledge what feels like a wall of crap falling on all of us daily. And we must acknowledge it in order to truly cherish what it means to be clean and renewed and unburdened and nourished. For just a moment, I want you to consider the nativity story in general, but specifically, I want you to think about Joseph for a moment. There he was, traveling alongside Mary, who was pregnant by someone else, apparently God, on a journey far from his own home, with no safe place for Mary to even give birth, his situation was not great. Yet, without this context, what does the story of the birth of Jesus become? Now, I'm not trying to make the point that one must suffer in order to reach the promised land. I don't personally believe in martyrdom. King, the Kennedys, and Khashoggi should all have had the chance to live long, natural lives. I'm saying instead that the profound challenges of life give rich context to everything we are. Sound, light, touch, taste, smell, even spidey sense. All of our senses need context and contrast in order to function. Shouldn't then our hearts also need context and contrast? The story of the birth of Jesus, whether or not we receive it as divine, is an opportunity to reflect deeply on context and contrast. Imagine 
the king of the Jews, arrives in the form of a helpless infant born of an unwed refugee mother in a filthy stable. It is this context of humility that then projects forward into the lived ministry of Jesus. The contrast between his own humble beginning, simple life, and the literal bounty of heaven that he points toward is so difficult for his contemporaries to grasp that they eventually kill him. But even then, from the most horrific and brutal death, he rises in glory. Context. Contrast. If there is one thing that the birth of Jesus can teach us, is that we can't afford to bury our heads in the sand. We cannot turn away from what is difficult or brutal or unkind or downright cruel. We cannot turn away from what is simple or lowly. If we turn away, we may miss something miraculous. Almost exactly 50 years ago today, one out of every four people on the planet was witness to another kind of miracle. The first image of the earth rising over the horizon of the moon, being broadcast from the Apollo 8 space mission. But people today forget that this miracle was the offspring of a half a century of war, culminating in, at that time, the Cold War. The United States was in a desperate race with the Soviet Union for technological dominance. And based largely on technology developed by the Nazis in the waning months of World War II, the rocket technology and computer support being used came at the cost of many lives, stretching back at least as far as World War I. If the United States had ignored the German advancements, if the Soviet Union had never also acquired nuclear capability, we might never have been able to gaze back on ourselves in wonder, humbled by our arrogance to endanger even one life on this planet. So on December 24, 1968, astronauts William Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman emerged from the dark side of the moon during their mission on Apollo 8 to witness what had never been seen before by human eyes, the Earth from a distance, earth rise. There it was, rising above the lunar surface. In its own right, this image is for me as powerful a context for human life as the story of Jesus. Yet when I receive that iconic image in relationship with the pain of 1968, and the complicated history of brutal war that led to space travel, and blend all of that with an understanding of the story of the birth of Jesus as a context for prophetic teaching about love and humanity in a world that is often unkind and unfair, I'm brought back to Earth, so to speak. Living this life in this world 
brings with it unexpected and untold difficulty and sometimes otherworldly wonder. I am reassured that this thing we call existence was created to include a vast range of emotions and experiences, not to test us, but to keep us present to the fact that we are most preciously alive. Every time I see that image of the fragile, blue, cloud lace-covered planet against a dark backdrop hovering over the barren and scarred surface of the moon, I'm renewed. Something in me is born again, born anew. Because I see the image and something in me knows that somewhere on that gleaming sphere, a child is being born who will solve cancer or end war or cure us of the destruction of the one place that we know we can actually live, this good earth. And that child may be born of a single migrant mother who has just been turned away at our border, cradled in a box in a squalid shelter. Something in me is also kindled when I know that that child may grow to change the world only to be cut down in their prime. For human existence in the context of this weary world dictates that dreams of peace and beauty will continue to be reborn amidst despair. And it will ignite in generation after generation after generation through the hope and promise of humanity. We are born of context and contrast. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Nineteen sixty eight was a devastating year. Twenty eighteen was also incredibly tough. But don't think for even one fleeting moment that there is no promise for the future. 
What we live through may or may not make us stronger, but it will always reaffirm our humanity and the hope inherent in our very being. Tonight, Christians commemorate the birth of a savior. And through that commemoration, all of us are invited to celebrate the promise of a future for all humanity, born in the humble and often conflicted hearts of each one of us. It is a birth that rises from the depths, no matter the barriers, no matter the social status, no matter the place. This child, this promise of tomorrow, is born. Hope is born. You and I are born, and the earth will rise. Amen and blessed be.